Barefooting with Sierra uses Buzzsprout. Just start with the equipment you already have and a quiet space. Add Buzzsprout and your podcast is ready to go. You'll get a great looking podcast website, audio players that you can drop into other websites, detailed analytics to show how people are listening, tools to promote your episodes, and more. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners. Following the link in the show notes lets Buzzsprout know that I sent you, gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan, and helps support the show. The team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout and get your message out to the world. Hello and welcome to episode 40 of Barefooting with Sierra. This podcast is recorded on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional land, gathering place, and traveling route of the Cree, Anishinaabe, Blackfoot, Métis, Dene, Nakota Sioux, and others for time immemorial. My name is Sierra Larson, better known as Barefoot Sierra. I'm a novelist, comic creator, and independent journalist, and I have been living without shoes since 2010. I alternate between using she, her, and they, them pronouns. I created this podcast to keep my audiences in touch with all of my projects, to talk about things I care about, and to interact with the awesome people in my various professional networks. In this episode, I interviewed art teacher Jennifer Clark and meditation expert J.W. Spillers. I'm going to break this podcast up into four parts, novels, comics, journalism, and barefooting, each representing a different aspect of my professional life. I will give you updates on what I'm working on, let you know about any new works you can see, and keep you in the know about when I do free book giveaways on Amazon. Let's get started. First up, novels. I'm like 97% done editing Red 72 Revelation. Now it's time to get the cover done. I'm about halfway done with my first round of editing The Price of Fame, which I'm starting to feel like is going to need a major rewrite. That's what editing is for, though. Finding the parts of the story that don't work and fixing them. I'm finding that as I continue writing my postbellum romance, it'll need a lot of rewriting, too. And that's okay. The first draft can be as messy as you need it to be, as long as you finish it. I'm working on getting better at developing characters and story by working through Lisa Crone's story genius as I write, and it's helping me learn a lot. I think I'm becoming a better writer as I go through this process. In novel news, Texas Book Festival has started announcing authors for this year's festival, which begins October 25th and will include both in-person and online events. So far, they've announced 15 authors, including RJ Palacio, Cecily Wong, and Benjamin Sands. You can see the full list on the Texas Book Festival website. The California Book Awards winners are in. Daniel Mason won the Top Fiction Prize for his latest work, a collection of short stories called A Registry of My Passage Upon the Earth, which was also nominated for a Pulitzer. C. Pam Zhang won in the first fiction category with her debut novel, How Much of These Hills is Gold. Alice L. Baumgartner's South to Freedom won the nonfiction category. Efren Divided by Ernesto Cisneros won in the juvenile books category. Private Lessons by Cynthia Salise won for the young adult books. Natalie Kankan won the poetry category with Quiet Orient Riot. These and other awards will be presented at a hybrid live virtual ceremony on August 16th. Tickets are available at commonwealthclub.org. And now for comics. The comic I did this week was a draw-in-your-style sort of thing that was inspired by Love Plus Comics. It didn't translate as well as I hoped it would from humans into a raccoon and possum, but that's sometimes part of the process. I'm really big about being honest in creation and the creative process, which is why I still post art that didn't turn out the way I envisioned, and why I talk about my manuscript editing and the accidental zombie I had when I didn't edit well enough in my first novel. Creative careers are sometimes going to be messy like that. And there's nothing wrong with you or your talent or your process if you have days like that. Every creative entrepreneur does. In comics news, Comic-Con at Home happened last week, and it was great. The panels I ended up enjoying most were Neurotic Superheroes and the Writers Who Love Them on Friday, and Tor Calling All Book Lovers on Saturday. Dr. Travis Langley, who I made friends with at Wizard World Chicago in 2019, was part of the Neurotic Superheroes panel. I didn't actually look at who was going to be part of the panel, just the panel description. So when he started talking, I was all like, I know him, I know him. And then I went and found the picture on my Instagram of me and him and Chris Priest at Wizard World to show my boyfriend, who was highly amused by the fact that I happened to be wearing the same shirt again. So that was a nice surprise. Travis Langley writes books psychoanalyzing pop culture characters, and I highly recommend them. I especially enjoyed his analysis of Sam and Dean Winchester in Supernatural Psychology. 
The tour panel was also amazing because books. And I watched lots of comic panels too. If you missed out, don't worry because videos of all the panels are still up on Comic-Con International's YouTube page. And while I was at home watching that feed, Frederick, Maryland had an in-person comic convention over the weekend with 70 vendors, professional cosplayers, and a relaxed atmosphere that wasn't present at their last events, which had capacity limitations and required masks. Event promoter Nick Schaff is planning to run another Frederick comic convention in November. You can find details at schaffpromotions.com, link in the show notes. All right, next up is journalism. I spent a lot of time this week reading Chad Daybell's novels. I'm actually kind of surprised I hadn't heard of this guy until J.J. Vallow and Tylee Ryan disappeared, because his books are exactly the type of stuff my parents would have bought me when I was a young teenager. Overly cheesy plots with heavy religious influence, written for a very specific target market. Other popular religious authors at the time, like Jack Wayland and Rachel Ann Nunez, were at least creative enough to come up with original stories. Chad Daybell made up fan fiction versions of his family's lives. Maybe his books seemed like creative fiction to people not investigating every detail of his life as part of writing a true crime book, and I don't want to insult the lovely folks at Cedar Fort who published his books. It's just that a good 80% of what I've read comes from personal accounts, everything from character names to locations to specific details in the stories. They all happen to him or to someone in his immediate family. It's helpful to get into his head by reading what he wrote, though, because it helps me understand the themes that he thinks about. It's the next best thing to actually being able to speak to him myself. And now for my interview with Jennifer Clark. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Um, if you could please tell us a little about yourself, where you're from, and what you do. It'd be great. I live in Central Florida. And I'm a teacher of 24 years, and most of the time that's an art teacher. Awesome. And um, recently you've gone kind of viral um, because of a Facebook post of a um, taxidermy gone badly wrong. Can you tell us a bit about that and kind of your thoughts on going viral? Well, it's kind of ironic because I myself have not gone viral, but everyone else who has posted my pictures or made a story about it seemed to be the one getting all the attention. It's not really me. Um, I posted on bad taxidermy because other people were posting how they had tried to make certain things and they weren't turning out and they were feeling really bad about themselves. And they're like, Oh, everything I do turns out like garbage. And I said, Hey guys, look what I did. You know, I tried to do something and this is what happened. So you can pat yourselves on the back. I can't remember verbatim what the post was, but it was basically an uplifting thing saying, you know, keep trying, don't give up because at least you didn't do this. And then I showed him the pictures of my cat who the story has been twisted so many times. Um, there were no children involved. I don't have any young children in my home and it wasn't our beloved family cat. It was a uh, unwanted stray who was hit by a car out here near where I live. And so I picked him up and I thought, you know what, this poor cat's never been loved. He didn't have a family because mind you, we have an epidemic of stray cats in central Florida. There's thousands. And I said, uh, I'm going to try to taxidermy this cat and then he can live with us. And he just, yeah, he's not very pretty. So then I've since found out that cat skin is very hard to taxidermy. And you literally really have to know what you're doing and you have to have some skills, which I did not. And I still do not. Um, so he just kept getting longer and longer and longer and stretching and his, his mouth stretched very large. So he has this like perma smile. After I posted that, um, I think maybe I got 6,000 comments, which was huge for me at the time. And it was on bad text for me and they actually shut down commenting because I think admin couldn't keep up with it. So, but most people understood, you know, they realized that I was, I was saying that as a, Hey, don't be so bad. You know, don't feel bad about yourself because look what I did. And I'm an art teacher and I still did it wrong. But yeah, text me's hard. It really is. <laughs> so. What steps did you follow to, to taxidermy um, Oscar the cat? So I basically Googled it, you know, like everyone does these days when you want to learn how to do something, you Google it. Uh, 
and you have to you have to do a process. You clean it. I did not have to do a lot of cleaning because this is Florida. And there wasn't a whole lot left when it's a roadkill. So anyway, I basically had a skin and, and some bones to do it. And you clean it, you salt it. And then after a few weeks of processing, you use um, a tanning solution, which I did. However, this is where I learned that the more you handle um, a cat skin, and I guess it's really only cats that this happens to, uh, the more you handle them, the more the hair falls out. And the more they stretch and the more awful it looks. But I didn't want to give up. Okay, I did not want to give up on Oscar. We'd come too far to give up. So I kept saying to myself, I can fix this. I can fix this. It'll be okay. I'll fix it later. Just keep going. So then I salted it, yada, yada. Several weeks later, it's like a month it took. And then um, I put the tanning solution on. And then I stuffed him, and that's when I thought, okay, now I have to really fix it. And so there's some hot glue, some fake fur. There's all kinds of stuff added to him to make him, <laughs> to make him look kind of like a cat again. And uh, But, you know, he has that silly, cheeky grin that a lot of people thought was very charming. So at least he's, I don't think he's scary looking. I think he just looks like he's overly happy all the time. There is some gorilla glue. I'm not gonna lie. That's that's holding a lot of them together. Yeah. So. Is he like free stuffed, or is is there a form in there? Like no, 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 honey. That's all me. It's just uh, <laughs> there's he has he has a coat hanger for his front legs. It's not really a coat hanger, but it's similar to coat hanger wire, and he has some for his back legs, and then the rest is just stuffing. Yep. Oh, and the mouth the mouth is felt. Because in the end, I was like, what do you do with this gigantic gaping mouth hole that's as big as my hand? Um, you know, you can't you can't just close the lips because it looked really odd. So not that he doesn't look odd now, but, you know, I had to figure out what to do. So, yeah. So it's felt. And um, he just has a very happy smile now. <laughs> I, I love him. <laughs> he's, he's great. Apparently a lot of people do, you know, he got a lot of attention. So so what, what inspired you to attempt taxidermy in the first place? It was just always something that um, I kind of wanted to do as a challenge. It's always just great, especially as an artist, you should keep evolving. You should try new things. Um, I mean, taxidermy is not for everybody, obviously, but I grew up with being around animals you know I grew up on a huge farm my family's business was a butcher shop so I'm not unfamiliar with skinning animals that's just something I grew up with but you know flash forward many many years I had never done this and and I thought living around here you just you just see so much roadkill and if you scoop it up really quick and there's not much damage you know then you have something to work with and um that's kind of where it was it really was just a challenge i thought can i do this and it wouldn't matter if i couldn't because it's just roadkill you know squirrels and raccoons and whatnot so and then as i started doing that i wanted to get better and better and better so i watched more videos i asked a lot of questions and i just keep trying and you know what it's not getting any better <laughs> they're not getting any better but there's a whole family of them now. So. so what all have you taxidermied now? Like you mentioned squirrels and raccoons. I saw a news article that mentioned you'd done a possum. Okay. So I have, I have five squirrels now. Three are basically flat Stanleys. They look like they're Superman flying because they're very flat. And then um, not only do I do taxidermy, but I do mummification. That's a whole nother process, and I wouldn't even want to begin to tell people about it because you're working with toxic materials, and you really do need to know what you're doing. And I'm pretty good at that, honestly. Well, I don't know. I think so. I, it, I'm better. Let's just say I'm better. It's not. It's not great. So I've done a few of those. I have two raccoons, and I tried to do some roosters that a friend wanted to butcher because you can only have so many roosters, you know, they'll kill your chickens if you have too many roosters. So, and that, that was bad. That was really disastrous. Birds are hard to do. Okay. So I have, and I have a possum and I have an armadillo and an armadillo was by far the hardest thing to attempt because they literally have like a body of armor around them. 
Yeah. So that's when I got out the great stuff, the foam expansion spray and some caulk and a little bit of paint. You know, so it is what it is. I don't know. You're you're letting out your adventurous side. What are you going to taxidermy next? Just kind of whatever roadkill comes up or like what do you decide to yeah. do? Yeah, pretty much. I don't have the heart to honestly kill anything. Um, that's not really my goal. And I don't, I'm not looking for anything like that. It's just kind of whatever nature throws at me on, on the street near me, you know. Because I'm going to tell you, in the heat of central Florida, you got to scoop it up before 7 a.m. or you can forget about it. So the other day, because I ride motorcycle, the other day I was riding down the road and I had to do a quick U-turn because there was a squirrel who had obviously just gotten hit. And he rode home on the gas tank of my motorcycle till I got home. And uh, every once in a while, I um, we have a lot of cats around here in this area, like like Oscar. So every once in a while I will have a mole or a rat or a mouse or something left around for me. Um, and if that's pretty quick, then I just put it in the freezer until I have time to deal with that later. So I have purchased some cute little things. I want to do some wild mice, like sitting, I, I have a, a little cute little dining table and I want some two little mice, maybe sharing a glass of wine together and a slice of pizza. And We'll try. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> it's I hard. think that's great. <laughs> it is. It's What's hard. the best advice you have for someone who's considering doing taxidermy? Ask a lot of questions and make sure that you are starting out with things that you realize are going to be mistakes. And I guess you really want to make sure that you can stomach it because it's you know the very beginning part is rough for people who aren't used to that I again like I said I grew up around it so it really wasn't anything and I also wanted to be a vet Uh, that's not what my life turned out to be but so I had that part of me but um yeah there is oh my gosh we have so much information at your fingertips if you just look it up and there's videos I actually wanted the very first thing I did ever was a raccoon and um, I watched a video on how to tan a raccoon, and that's where it all started. And the problem is, the raccoon, I was really impressed with myself. And that's when I thought, oh, I could do this. And then everything since then has not been so good. So I had like a really great start, and no. Nah. But here we are. Now, you know about his Instagram page, right? Because that's really the only thing after all of this is said and done that I'm actually running like the TikTok videos that have gone viral, that wasn't me. I didn't even give permission for that. That just, yeah. that, he, he just took off. That was, I've learned some lessons. Do not post anything that you do not want people to have because you can never get it back and you cannot control it. I did not yeah. know about the Instagram page. So what, what is the Instagram page? It's Oscar Meyer Wiener Cat. That's his name. Hashtag Oscar Meyer Wiener Cat. That's amazing. We have 575 followers, I think, today. So. I just do these cute little pictures. A lot of it is um, because another thing I'm not good at, you think I would be as an art teacher, but no, um, photoshopping him into like movie scenes and things. And that's kind of funny. And sometimes the fans will, and I say fans because he does have fans, believe it or not. It's kind of crazy. They'll send like fan submissions of different things that they've done and, and I'll post it on there. So it's pretty cute. That's fantastic. Oh my goodness. There are some diehard Oscar lovers who um, every time they see someone basically steal, you know, the story or the pictures and post it as their own, man, they are messaging me left and right. You got to see this person. This person is stealing your stuff. I already told them to give you credit. And I already told them that it's, it's really charming. It's like, these people don't know me. We're complete strangers, but you know, they're invested in this whole life and and the Oscar Mayer dream and you know uplifting other people because they know the real story of how it all got started it's not um it's not other crazy stuff so I appreciate it I think it's sweet so there's some pictures on the Instagram with with teeth are those photoshopped in are you planning on giving them teeth? (laughs) Yeah. yeah no those are photoshopped that was me trying to do some photoshopping I there would be no way to put teeth in him because of the felt and just I don't know how to close him up this is the problem once you stuff it's like how do you what do you do you know the rest of it looks good but then I always have the ending I just I don't know the possum hangs on my curtain I love it 
Yeah. Now the possum. So, okay. So she was a roadkill, right? She had babies. And I had, I saved two of the female babies and I raised them. And I have a wildlife permit and I got this wildlife permit because of these possums. So I still have, I still have Blanche. So that's why I named her. And this is so ironic that you're talking to me today because Blanche escaped 14. I got her back. She escaped for about three days and I got her back 14 days ago. So I go out to see her today. Would you know that she's pregnant? <laughs> she's pregnant. Of yes. So, mm-hmm. so the circle of life, um, of course, she's never seen her mother in here. I wouldn't, I wouldn't let her see her. Um, but yeah, so I have the, I have her as my lifelong pet. They only live to be two years, unfortunately. Yeah. She's really super sweet. I just love her to death. I actually got a tattoo of my possum recently. Awesome. No, I really love my possum, but I cannot believe it. I can't believe she's not having got pregnant. So I just realized that today. So that's awesome. Yay. So if you would like, if you'd like a possum for Christmas, give me your address. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and here's, here's Oscar. I love it. Oh my gosh. Okay. It's legit. He really is mine. I really own him and he really loves her. Hello. <laughs> Best cat ever. The mouth. <laughs> How did you do the eyes? Well, they have little fake eyes in there. I'm, I, I can guarantee you there's glue in there. Yes. Yeah, so basically, basically you put the glue behind it and then you push the eye into place and you have to hold it till it dries. But his eyes are, they kind of, that's how they dried, you know? So okay. one is a little wider, one is a little squintier. Yeah. It's just, this is, this is how he wanted to be. I don't know. He's perfect. He knows. He's something else. He doesn't, he just look happy though. He just makes people happy. He's great. He just does. So his ears, that's a lot of fake hair on there because it, it disappeared. It fell off. And then his belly, because the hair fell off, he has like a belly button with hair in it. So, okay, I don't know. This is dear old Oscar. There he is. He's, he's a, amazing. He's thinking. He's a thinker. Best ever. <laughs> he's always always singing or something or screaming. I don't know. I don't know what he's screaming. doing. Screaming like a possum. <laughs> That was something that I, I remember from the original post. I said, um, you know, he's either very happy or he's screaming my hit my failures at me for the rest of my life, but we'll never know. <laughs> I think he's happy. He looks happy to me. He's very springy. <laughs> <laughs> he's so flexible. It's very long. So someone asked me one time how long he was, and from from tip to tail, he's thirty six inches long. He's a yard. That's <laughs> So, and he was kind of nicknamed the hot dog cat. So that's how he came. That's how I came up with Oscar Meyer Wiener. I love it. Now, Oscar Meyer Wiener Company has not caught on to this yet. And they probably would not appreciate me using that name. But <laughs> we'll deal <laughs> with that one. It's not, like, it. it's not like you're saying that they're, you know, putting cats in their hot dogs. Exactly. Never. <laughs> Oscar Meyer Wiener Company has delicious hot dogs. And they would never use cats in their hot dogs. Disclaimer. Exactly. It's just right. he's as long as a hot dog and skinny like one. Very long. He is very long. Yeah. So my hope going into the future because this has been shared. Those photos have been shared well over two million times that I can count um, in multiple countries, and I just, I just really, it's hard to not take it personal when people don't know the story and they're like, "Ah, you're sick. You're a cat killer." No, sweetie, that is not what happened. Um, and the, and there has been a dark side to this, which is another thing I've learned. Like, oh, some of the messages I was getting for a while because people will Facebook stalk you, find your name, and just attack you. It's pretty gross. It's way grosser than finding a cat and stuffing it. People's <laughs> behaviors, though. Um, yeah, so we just all need to be happy and, you know, feel the love, the power of the Oscar. That's all I can say. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for joining me. It's been so, so great chatting with you. And thanks for showing me all of your amazing creations. I loved seeing them. Oscar Meyer Wiener Cat on Instagram. He has autographed photos for folks too. 
It started because someone said, you've got to get this cat a Facebook page. He's got to have his own page. Well, that is just way too much to try to take care of. So I was like, well, at least I can do an Instagram page. And then it was, we need some, we need photographs. We need autographs. I'm like, okay. So I just, I try, I try to please the people. I'm trying to please the people, right? Yep. <laughs> please the people. Please the people. I love it. <laughs> Thanks so much, Jennifer. Take care. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Last but not least, let's talk about barefooting. I've been all over Edmonton and St. Albert for the last two weeks. Went hiking in the River Valley a few times, went to the farmer's market where I met another barefooter, and went to the gas station just about every day for slushies because it has been super hot. We're actually under a heat advisory right now. Best thing to do would definitely be staying in and listening to my interview with meditation expert J.W. Spillers. Hi, Jay. Okay. Thanks so much for, for joining me on the show. Please tell the listeners a little about yourself, where you're from, and what you do. I'm in Anaconda, Montana, and basically what I'm doing right now is writing. I had practiced law for a number of years in Utah, but right now I've just been focusing on writing, and I live with my wife and my seven-year-old son. Wonderful. So you have two books, meditation. And I've a couple of books. Yeah. yeah. Meditation for Everyone and Heaven's Truth. Can you tell us a bit about those? Yeah. The first book that I wrote was Heaven's Truth, The Parallels Between the Bible and the Near-Death Experience. And it's basically drawing the connection between faith and the near-death experience and specifically the Bible and Christianity and just showing how they compare to each other. And um, I saw the near-death experience as sort of um, vividly illustrating in a modern context what a lot of people believe by faith and what they read in things like scripture. And I would I point out things like uh, near-death experiences in the in the Bible and NDE or near-death experience that are like NDEs that we we call spiritually transformative experiences because there's a whole bunch of spiritually transformative experiences. There's a couple, what I call near-death experience. And the, the difference between an STE and an NDE is that um, with an NDE, you actually die, whereas an STE, you don't necessarily have to die in order to experience it. But you could, you could see a light, you could experience um, angels or God or departed loved ones, see heavenly things. Um, it could be virtually the same in terms of what you experience. And what got me into this was, um, I remember watching a show in 1983 called That's Incredible, and they had featured near-death experiences. And I was only 11 years old, and I was a young Christian, and I saw that, and I was like, wow. What they believe by faith, uh, what I believe by faith, they had actually in, experienced, and they were telling their stories of how they saw God and Jesus, and how they went to heaven and saw the bright lights, and you know, it, I was just awestruck by it. So that was my first taste of of a near death experience, and got me interested. And there wasn't a whole lot of acceptance at that point within the Christian community. I called a radio show called the Bible answer, man. And he was very dismissive of it. And I sort of put it aside for the most part until I got into law school in about 97. And then I started getting interested again, because I started questioning my faith. And I started wondering about things like hell. And it seems like, you know, most of the church taught that seemed like every, most people were going to hell. And so I sort of wondered about that. And I sort of started studying other things, um, Christian universalism. And that's when I started to really get revved up on the near-death experience. And I got even more interested when my dad passed in 2010, studying the NDE. And then my mom passed. So that's sort of the journey of how I got interested in the near-death experience. And in the book, I talk about the two NDEs that I talk about in the Bible are one, the resurrection of Christ. Because it's an extraordinary experience, and obviously Christians believe that when he rose, his body was was 
was new and he never died again. And there's some differences, but it's a near-death experience, I argue, in the sense that he died. He was conscious on the other side. He was active and busy. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And then he also went to hell and, and uh, preached to the, those who were in prison and brought them up and set them free. And so and then he rose again the third day. He came back to life. So I recorded that as a near-death experience. And then we have the Apostle Paul, who he said, I knew a man who, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. But he went to the third heaven and he entered paradise and he heard unspeakable words and unutterable words. And it was impossible for him to explain what he saw or he said unlawful, but could be translated impossible. And this fits with the NDE because a lot of NDEers uh, say it's just so hard to put it into words the beauty that I experienced and how wonderful it was. And then when he says, I heard unspeakable words, they were unutterable. They were not uttered. So it makes me think, was it telepathic? Was it mind to mind? And that's common in modern NDEs is that the communication generally isn't with the mouth, but they communicate with others on the other side through te- telepathy or mind to mind. And the Apostle Paul, even before his NDE, because he'd been stoned in Lystra in the book of Acts, we believe that's probably where he had his NDE. But before his NDE, he had an STE where he was converted, where he saw Christ on the road to Damascus. He saw a bright light. Christ appeared to him. He gave him a mission, which is very common, which was to go to the nations, to the Gentiles. And then he was also transformed from a persecutor of the church to an apostle of the church. And he experienced miracles in the, in the sense that he lost his sight. And then a, uh, another brother in the scriptures came and, and prayed for him. And he received his sight. And he also was able to have a vision of uh, Ananias coming to him. And Ananias had a vision to go to him, which is miraculous that they were brought together. And there was a shared experience on the road to Damascus too, because he had companions who saw a light, but they didn't see Christ, who heard a sound, but they didn't hear the words. So they partially shared in his experience. And this is becoming kind of popular in, to talk about in NDEs is the shared experience where sometimes people will be in a room of a loved one who dies and they sort of are teleported and they see some of what the other person is seeing as they're passing through. They might see part of the life review or a bright light or things like that. So you have the shared experience. And I think when he had his STE, his conversion experience on the road to Damascus, that triggered the NDE that he later had. Um, and this is very common too, is that you'll see in the years where they'll have like multiple near-death experiences or near-death experiences mixed with spiritually transformative experiences. So there's sort of the trigger effect that once you sort of open the door spiritually and make that connection to God, it's easier to sort of have other experiences um, going forward. So those were sort of the two NDEs that I saw in the Bible. Um, So um, some of the STEs is like the Mount of Transfiguration where Peter, James, and John were taken up to the Mount of Transfiguration and Christ appeared to them in glory. And he was shining with a white, bright light and Moses and Elijah were there. And this is sort of a common to NDEs where you see like, um, you'll see like Christ and you may see other religious figures who are present and there's the glowing light. And Peter used this to justify his apostleship. So this experience, the Mount of Transfiguration, where he saw Christ glorified, was what he used to justify his apostleship. And I thought that was interesting. So he, it, even though he'd seen all the miracles of Christ and all the other things, this experience was, was very transformative for him. 
and there's other SEs that we could get into, you know. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Um, you mentioned that you you grew up in Utah, and um, having lived in Utah myself, that Utah is a very um, interesting place, especially uh, for religion. How did that affect your perspective looking at these sort of things? Well, I, actually, I grew up in Southern California. I'm I moved from Southern California to Utah when I was twenty. Um, so when I was watching the show in 83 and got initially interested, I was in Southern California, but then I've, I lived in Utah from, uh, 20 to about 38, but I, I went to school in Idaho and I moved to Las Vegas. So I've sort of moved around, but my parents lived in Utah that whole time, but I, uh, was around, you know, many LDS people. I'm not personally LDS myself. And I, I think it's interesting when you look at uh, the LDS people is they seem to be very open to the NDE and there seems to be a lot of receptivity. There was one big near-death experiencer that probably a lot of people have heard about was Betty Eady, who wrote the book Embraced by the Light in the early 90s. And I believe she was she was LDS. I don't know if she still is or not, but she had connections to the LDS church. So there does seem to be, I think, within the Mormon church, a receptivity to it to some extent. And there's been more of a receptivity lately in other churches, too, such as evangelical and Catholic and whatnot. Um, you've seen a lot of other books and movies that have come out uh, like heaven is for real, where a three-year-old boy whose dad was a pastor had a profound near death experience. And that's been told in a movie and wrote in a book. And I referenced that in my book. And then there's, uh, there's several others. There's like uh, crystal who wrote nine minutes in heaven and she was a very committed Christian. So there's, there's more of a receptivity now among different churches than, there was in 1983. For sure. Yeah. I do think the, um, I don't know about the church as a whole, but people within the LDS church do seem to be pretty receptive to near death experiences. There was even, um, he served as an LDS Bishop. His name was John M Pontius. Um, he wrote a book called visions of glory about his own near death experiences. And it was pretty well received i think um i haven't personally read it but it's something that several of my friends in utah talked about and it seemed to be something that they were quite interested by yeah and i think it's interesting is that to some degree uh your your pre your faith when you have an NDE can impact um, the experience that you have. And Mel and Thomas had talked about a feedback loop that to some extent you may experience what you expect to experience, but God will sort of help grow you along and, you know, lead you further. And because I've read like some um, LDS experiences and it seems to, to fit within the LDS perspective of, what they already believe to a certain extent. And then I've seen like uh, Catholic near-death experiencers where they specifically see Mary, you know, whereas a lot of Protestant um, NDEs, you, you don't hear as much about Mary. So there's sort of some uh, aspect of faith coming into the experience as a whole. And, you know, people from different religions too, you know, like it's not uncommon for a Buddhist to experience, to uh, see Buddha or something related to that. It doesn't always fit this way, though, because I've heard of uh, NDEs where a person wasn't necessarily Christian, but they saw Christ. You know, like there've been Jewish people that have seen Christ, and I had even heard one recently uh, by a researcher her name is P. H. Atwater, who's pretty big in the NDE research, had talked about. Uh, she had seen three cases of people who practiced voodoo who saw Christ 
when they had an NDE. So, I mean, it's not always perfectly meshed that whatever your religion is, that will be exactly what you experience, but it can influence what you experience. For sure. And I think it also, like your your frame of reference also affects the language that you have to discuss what you experienced. So if that's your frame of reference, that that's how you would interpret what you experienced. Like when you're when you're reading the Bible and you're trying to understand revelations, maybe like those those wheels with a bunch of eyes on them, that was just his way of explaining helicopters. Like, I don't know. That was his frame of reference. Like, I have no idea if that's supposed to be literal or metaphorical. But like a lot of times I read maybe even like people's haunting experiences and it's it's their frame of reference that's what they're explaining that's what they believe whereas maybe i would think it's an angel or something so it's it, i think a lot of it does depend on our frame of reference for if it's a, a near-death experience or what could turn into a spiritually transformative experience for sure um you also you have a spiritual discussion facebook page can you tell us a bit about that uh, yeah, um, I post a lot of things, you know, like uh, inspiring quotes. And like if I have um, interviews, I'll post it there and things like that. Um, and I also have two Facebook groups. I have the Bible and the near-death experience where um, I tend to focus a lot on the NDE or things related to Christianity. But then I also have a meditation page where I talk about um, things related to meditation and the meditation page is just called Meditation for Everyone, which is the same title as my book. Um, so I, I've discussed meditation there. I was going to say about religion, and I kind of get into this in my book, is that when you look at the Bible uh, and what religion is, I think religion puts spirituality within a cultural context that makes sense to the audience that it's speaking to. So I, I use that a lot when I'm talking about the Bible, that there's a certain cultural context that it's giving, um, and that sometimes if you can understand that, and then you can look at the indie, even though they might seem a bit different, there's a lot of similarities. They're just sort of putting it in a context that makes sense. And obviously the NDE, to some extent, may be easier for us to follow because they're people usually from... Um, our modern times and their people from places like the U.S. and Canada and um, other places like that. So it's maybe a little easier to follow. But I think the ND can help you understand the Bible and be sort of a tool to understand it and uh, things like that. And I sort of got into like, you know, what about the hard things in the Bible? And I, I talked about how you know, people were trying to understand God the best they could, and that God was revealing to them and ministering to them. And he was starting where where they were presently, and sort of slowly moving them along. So, you know, when you when you sort of read, like, you know, some of the hard things in the Old Testament about he wiped out the Canaanites, go wipe out the Canaanites. Uh, that's where the people's heart were. That's where the people's consciousness was at that time. And that God was sort of working within that context, but slowly bringing them up. And even before the Old Testament is concluded, you start to see with like Jonah and the whale, where Jonah has a picture of God where he's merciful and he doesn't want to destroy the city of Nineveh, even though Jonah does. And so you start to see a greater mercy in God by the time you get to Jonah. Not that God wasn't merciful before, but they weren't ready to fully see it. And then when you get up to Christ, you see even more mercy and love being revealed within the scripture, you know? So there, there's a progressive revelation and a progressive understanding and unveiling of who God is as you go through the scriptures. And I think if you kind of start to understand that, it sort of helps with some of the difficult passages when you first get to the early parts of the New Testament. I mean, the Old Testament, you know. For sure, for sure. Um, it seems like near-death experiences 
are almost more spirituality than religion. Where do you draw the line and how do you see that kind of differentiate? Well, I think, I think spirituality is just where you see it more as it is. And then maybe you could say some of the filter is gone from religion. Religion sort of puts a filter on it to some extent and gives you a context. Um, but it, it isn't a perfect spiritual experience, as, as you said, because there's still sort of the baggage that we bring, you know, the feedback loop that uh, Mel and Thomas talked about. So the NDE itself is not a perfect representation of pure spirituality. But maybe to some extent, it's sort of moving us closer. And I think as you sort of progress through the New Testament, it was trying to move us closer. And I think that's sort of the difference is sort of getting through the filter. And I was talking with a, another interviewer one time. We were saying, well, I think the NDE shows that Christianity is true and that it has a great deal of truth in it. but to some extent, we'd say God is bigger than any one religion. So that the religion is true, but that God is a little bit bigger than that. And he has a, a bigger picture that he wants us to see. And I think a lot of indie years uh, find it difficult to be limited to just a particular religion or a particular church. Now, there are a lot of indie years that um, become very active in a church. You know, that's not uncommon either, but sometimes they just feel like they're a little boxed in by, you know, I'm going to be Catholic or I'm going to be LDS or Baptist. Not that there's anything wrong with those churches. It's just they feel a little boxed in, like they can't fully represent what they know about God from one particular church, you know. So it's sort of getting a bigger picture of God um, that I think goes on. Absolutely. Um, And you've been meditating for 15 years now. How does meditation fit into all of this? Well, I think meditation has been central to my spiritual development and to helping me understand things uh, more clearly spiritually. I know a lot of uh, people that have NDEs practice meditation because it sort of brings them a a little bit of what they experienced in the NDE, not completely usually, but you can sort of feel like you connect to God and you connect to the higher part, uh, the higher part within yourself. And so there can be kind of a connection that's similar. And I mean, there have been a few meditations that I know people have had where they felt like they've had something similar to an NDE and it could go that far. I think for most people meditating, I don't think it quite goes to the level of an NDE. And I've had times where I felt the presence, I believe of God very strongly in meditation, but I don't think I've come anywhere close to what I see in the NDE just personally myself. And what I try to do with meditation is, um, I, I, I outline a few of the keys to meditation, like stillness, mindfulness, and then working in affirmations and gratitude. And I give a template for meditation. I actually just use the fruits of the Holy Spirit and that you can use each of those nine fruits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control and use those nine things to meditate on. You can reflect, you can visualize, and you can just basically sit still and focus on any of those points you want. And you can go in a bunch of different directions, you know, like uh, you could start with love, like, you know, who do I love? And then feel the love that you have for them. And what does love mean? And um, get a picture of love in your mind. And So you can go a lot of different directions, and I use that as a template. Now, obviously, you can use other things, too, besides fruits of the Holy Spirit. Anything that's positive or affirming could potentially 
be used to meditate on. And I do more of a focused meditation. Um, I've never really been able to do anything like just clear your mind completely. And uh, that's never really worked for me. I've, so I've always reflected on something and use that. And then I can affirm things as I go. And, and in affirming things like love and peace, uh, I, I can be feeling gratitude for it. And in a sense, meditation, when you're affirming and being grateful, uh, can sort of be a prayer from the heart. You know, we think of meditation as, you know, like prayer is speaking to God. Meditation is hearing from God. And I think that's true, but I think meditation is a lot more. That meditation can actually be a communion with God in your heart, and you could be praying as you're doing that, or it could be uh, finding greater awareness about yourself. And I wrote the meditation book um, in a non-sectarian way that could appeal to people of different faiths or even an atheist. And I try to, as I go through the book, you know, outline it and, you know, make it more inclusive that way. Um, So it's not Christian exclusive, you know, but I did use certain things like the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And I think those are universal uh, truths that most people would, would affirm, you know, like love and peace and kindness and things like that, that it, it, ha- it would have a broad appeal regardless of what your particular faith is. For sure. Yeah, those are definitely pretty much universal values. So it has been wonderful talking with you. Um, Please tell the listeners where they can find your books. Um, Both my books are on Amazon.com. That's where you can get them. I've actually been able to get a few bookstores locally to carry Heaven's Truth. And I've got it in a few libraries within the state. But you can find it on Amazon.com right now, anywhere in the pretty much in the world where Amazon sells, it's it's available. That's all for this week's episode. I'll be back next week with an interview with novelist Steve Gans. Thanks so much for listening in. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to Sierra the Barefoot Girl at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram at Sierra the Barefoot on Facebook as Sierra the Barefoot Girl, on Twitter at Sierra Barefoot, and on TikTok at Sierra is Barefoot. You can follow the podcast itself on Instagram at Barefooting with Sierra. All of my books are available on Amazon. My comics are available on Instagram at World of Possums, on Facebook, Possum Pete Comics, and at patreon.com slash Possum Pete. Thank you to Legion X for the intro and outro music. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening, and please share it with a friend if you've enjoyed it. Until next time, this has been Barefooting with Sierra.